You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. We would like to remind you to head over to the Sportsman's Nation Facebook and Instagram pages to check out the new trailer for the very first ever short film titled Tradition. We're really excited about this project and hope you will enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the For Love of the Land Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common. They all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. Thanks for listening to another Land and Legacy for Love the Land podcast. This is your host, Matt Dye, and I am ready for an awesome podcast. we got a treat for you guys today. Talking with a gentleman from Delaware, um, a QDMA member, a lifelong habitat manager, and um, honestly a person who's got uh, eyes in mind that just understand and look at the natural world uh, very similarly to the way that Adam and I do. And so he's got an incredible property located in the great state of Delaware. And so it's definitely a unique um, insight and something that we don't always talk about as we will discuss today, a transition um, of a property from basically biological desert into extreme diversity. Um, but before we do that, um, just wanted to say thanks again for listening, guys. Uh, there's a lot of things happening right now behind the scenes uh, with Land Legacy. That's a direct result of you guys listening, sharing these messages, um, being interactive on social media, and um, and it's just it's encouraging to see, and we thank you guys for that. So there'll be some announcements coming up in the next couple of weeks and months that you guys are going to really really like, um, as some some really cool things are coming up. So definitely be watching for those. And then if you haven't already listened to the Habitat Heroes podcast this week, Adam takes time to interview um, the president of the Rough Grouse Society. Um, this is a a nonprofit society who is all for improving habitat, specifically for um, rough grouse and woodcock, and they get it. They understand that habitat is where, you know, we have to make an impact, and I think that speaks volume, and you guys will definitely be able to see that through the conversation. So if you haven't already, be sure to go jump over to the Habitat Heroes podcast, listen to it, but today... We've got Laddie from Delaware. Um, Laddie, are you there? Yeah, hey, Matt. What is I'm going here. on? Gosh, Laddie, we met, oh, man, this was probably the first year of Land and Legacy. You and I met at, it was a QDMA National Convention, wasn't it? 
That's correct. That's right. We uh we had donated a consultation to raffle off and and you were the lucky guy who put some faith in us and uh we met and ended up a couple months after that we were at the property in Delaware. You were showing it off. I was. It was <laughs> great to meet you out there and uh being that you were originally from the East Coast, I was uh knew I had a sympathetic ear and uh and some great experience to compare notes with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Laddie, you, you've got such an incredible story just from life experiences in, in general. And I guess since that consultation, you know, we, we've stayed in touch, um, just, you know, as, as you know, you sharing your experiences with the property, um, us continuing to talk about it, watching it develop, watching it grow, um, but man, it's, it's just been, it's been good to stay in contact because again, the, these life experiences that you've had, you know, and, and not just in Delaware we're talking about, um, but has, I think, um, from my perspective, really shaped your mind in the way that you look at land and you look at resources and you look at managing them and the, um, impact that you can have on the land in a positive way, but also in a negative way, if you do things improperly or you do them wrong or you don't do anything at all so i think that um you've got an incredible story of this piece of property this family land and where it's come from how you've developed it over the years so i don't want to steal your thunder at all but i just want to kick back and Mm. let you share with our listeners the story of how you know the evergreen nature preserve came to be where it is today and let you run with it, and, and you know we'll be commenting back and forth. But to all those listening, um, I want this message to encourage you because, Laddie, you've seen this property again go from biological diversity of like a scale from one to ten. This was like a zero or a one at best, and now you're looking at a nine and ten. It, it's extremely diverse, and it's happened in 17 18 years or so and so those people who are out there now managing the property and seeing changes um i want this to be encouraging because know that especially if you're going out there with the right plan with the right activities the right techniques and the right mindset you're going to see drastic differences on your property you're going to see the way that you spend time on it really improving the property in a positive way. And you've seen that, Laddie. So let this story be encouraging to you as you kick back and listen to Laddie share the Evergreen Nature Preserve. Laddie, take it away. Yeah. Okay, Matt. Uh, First of all, this place was a um, in the center of the state, and it was not very rural in a small state that was – Primed and ready to see some development, like many places, but um, it's like, like uh, geographically surrounded by some high populated areas. So, well, I think my dad, thinking about hedging his bet, got this land way ahead of schedule before before it came became uh, as popular as it is nowadays. With uh, with as time goes forward, he could see see the crystal ball better, and it was. Uh, 
basically uh, an empty uh, had one strip of timber running right down the middle of two really large 125 acre fields and this strip of timber um, was mature timber typical of the state and um, had some ponds on it a little gravel pit and uh, so as the story unfurled, I, he got this and it sat there idle. I was uh, out of the country. I've been doing what my career was, which is uh, pretty exciting stuff, uh, big game fishing. And I ran the boat. It was my boat. And um, I was in one of the best places on the planet, Costa Rica. Also fishing Panama. Had fished many other spots. But in the process, we, we could see that uh, – the, these great undisturbed un, uh, areas were few and getting fewer. And specifically, and, you know, across <laughs> across the world. But you're talking about, you know, in oceans like these reefs and and out, you know, oh, not, yeah. not inshore. We're talking offshore, deep sea, big deep game, sea, right? Big game, right? And because of commercial fishing, they they'd been just hammered, Matt, and mm-hmm. uh, and you had to be in front of the curve. You if you weren't in front of it, you're behind. You were left behind. And so, I wanted to be mobile and go wherever you needed to go to get there first, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, well, and before it got destroyed, and I did. So in my twenties and thirties, uh, plenty of. Uh, zip and energy and and adventure uh i did that and and in doing so uh in the world of big game fishing did stuff people dream of uh it's hard to believe even now some of those great days of of going to places very few people have been to and trolling and catching enormous marlin blue marlin and black but so I come back home to my folks who are getting older at that point, and I've um, the son, the only son. So I knew that at some point I couldn't let them um, do that alone, do that journey of their life. And so at one point I said, "Okay, I have to wrap it up. I've I've done it now for near twenty years, and so here we go back to the USA and." Um, when I came back, oh, wow, time uh, had moved on, and I, I had my mind was still back in the in the eighties and nineties when I left. <laughs> <laughs> so I come back, and uh, what I'm seeing is what is currently happening. We're seeing the the country and in a flux of great change, and um, after knowing that if you don't preserve your place and and plan for the future you're going to be left uh with just reading about good hunting mm-hmm. or fishing and right that's not good enough for me i'm sorry yeah. i want to be there in the best i'm kind of spoiled i've been doing the best you you had the luxury and the ability from from clients to be able to travel across the world to, like I said, right. the best big game sport fishing areas in the entire the world, and and, and because right. of that, now you go back home and you want to create the best in your area, whatever yes. it is, whatever it takes. You've got a slice of land, and and I don't think we mentioned how the, the property size, but I believe it's two hundred ninety seven acres. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, it's okay. just a few shy of 300 acres. Yeah. And it was all in just standard crop production um, of typical of the area, mm-hmm. uh, corn, soybeans. And I think that's something to note too, Laddie, is that when people think Delaware, they don't think I think I think one of the first thing that comes to mind is is uh, like Rehoboth Beach and things like that <laughs> or or you yeah. know metropolitan, you know, suburbs of uh you know, DC, Richmond, Philadelphia, all that just kind of melts over and into Delaware region. However, when you actually visit there, you're in a unique area where there is a lot of suburban development. However, the farming still occurs there. There is definitely a rich history um, and great production from the corn soybean rotation. And and you're in an area that has both, again, the suburban development as well as beach not far away, which is also a unique aspect to, to the farm itself in the area. But now you have farming, too. That is correct. But the one thing our little tiny uh, piece had going for it from the beginning is even then the locals knew there's good deer hunting right here. <laughs> yes, there is. And that's that's the other hidden gem of, I think, Delaware and, if you will, the eastern shore of Maryland in general. A lot of the same um, mixture of uh, farmland and woodlots and swamps, things like that. You have the opportunity at harvesting really, really good deer. And I know, I think, Laddie, we, we looked at it and studied it, um, and you're very familiar with it. But the Boone and Crockett um, list, you know, across the whole east coast your area which is not that big of an area but you know what delaware's three counties big the whole state is that right right but your county is basically the epicenter um of yeah. you know the the biggest the largest concentration of boone and crockett uh record book deer pretty much on the east coast that's it that's correct it is um really well known for that and what when what i found out growing up and doing this fishing thing is start with what you got in abundance whatever that is you can't make something that's not there mm-hmm. uh, and you can enhance it but if it's already good to start with that's the starting point um so with that being said uh this property i here I am out of my element. I'm back in the USA and we all have to work. This is, this is the real world. We have to get a job and I didn't know what to do. So I'm going, Oh gosh, I don't have skills that are really applicable to anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, so after some serious thought, I found a way to out of the dilemma. And that was that, um, there was a program available that I've located at the, while I was learning how to use the computer for the first time, <laughs> I found yeah. the program and it discussed, uh, how the, you could take land, you could, uh, enroll in some of these federal programs and you could, uh, and it would earn money. Mm-hmm. So, so annually, and in doing so, they had a sign up, um, bonus and i was able to take the property 
get a big sign-up bonus. My parents were, since they were the ones who did all the heavy lifting to get the place, they received that. Right. Um, a big thank you and check in their account. And then annually, I took the rest of the money and went to work. I made it my job. So I wanted to know this how to do this work and it became serious i took it real serious to figure out the best way to do this to restore this land into natural habitat and um so i did so and that is how the farm got started that's the story of how it began so so you were staring you know down the barrel of I need to find a job. I need to put money in my pocket, but I also need to take care of my parents foremost, um, their health, watch after them so I can be there and be home. But I also need to take care of the land. And what you had seen, again, offshore was kind of the the heart or the root of this is I can can make a difference here and I can improve this land, like you said, kind of help restore it um, back to where it should be. And now these programs... Uh, provide me with an opportunity to to do both. I can I can make an income, but I can also um, improve the land through these. So the, again, that was that was the start here of you know the beginning of let's say this transition period for um, the property, the 297 acres. So right off the bat, what were you? What type of programs and things were you looking at? And what was the the scale of work that then you're like, oh my gosh, this is on my shoulders. I, I got to do this. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of, you, you nailed it good, Matt, because uh, conservation, so little of it's going on. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves it, but nobody wants to spend a dime doing it. And this was an actual opportunity. So no, no one's going to get rich, but I realized, yeah, I could be doing what I wanted to do, make a difference, earn an income and get down into the uh, weeds and work and figure it out. But having grown up in a place where there was very poor deer hunting, I didn't really know much about it. Anything really about deer big game hunting white tailed deer Mm -hmm. even though i've hunted a lot of things uh other things so this is kind of new and i needed to uh um really get get some schooling learn what to do and at first this program was held by the um, nrcs and funded by the usda and so Right away, there was a staff of people that came on and said, okay, what would you like to do? And, and they all dropped their jaws when I said, every square inch of this 300-acre <laughs> farm, we're going to do it all. They're, they just were thinking I was going to do 10 acres. Sure. Instead, we did – we actually reforested 240 acres. Wow. Wow. And so this is – planting tree by tree by tree, 240 acres. Right. And some wetlands created wetlands, some uh, native grasses. So the, with that big a palette, you could, you could just uh, pick from the, the book mm-hmm. of practices, things to do different things. And uh, that's, I relied on a lot on their advice, but I had some instincts going as well. Sure. Uh, I wish I'd had at that time, better access to 
fellows like you and Adam about about what to do and how to go about it. I wish I, I just wished I'd had it. I did not. So that was yeah. That was the year two thousand. The year so. two thousand when when really this started. And and guys, for those listening, I'm going to put um, up some pictures and stuff of the farm so you guys can see you know where it stands right now and and what there is on the property because when we say like forested uh, there's legit trees i mean trees you're now hunting out of laddie that you yeah. planted um there's tree stands hanging so this transition uh, has occurred in this 17 year period um and and and, and before <laughs> yeah. we recorded you you talked about some um i don't want to say troubles but things that you wish you had learned or knew or could have avoided um, through this whole process in the land management side of things, um, you know, and and not to dwell on mistakes, but for to use them as a a, a learning um, po- point. What were those things that you know what you, you say looking back? I just I wish I hadn't spent so much time on that, or now that I know what I know, I wish I hadn't done things quite like that. Yeah. What were those points? Right. There was quite a few uh, the regrets as I look backwards on it. And uh, most of it was that I, the um, personnel of the Fish and Wildlife of our state and the NRCS in my state, um, great guys interested in what I was doing. But honestly, they'd never seen anything on that scale. Okay. And it was, uh, they're putting theory that was read about years prior into practice of something that they've never done themselves. And we need, we probably could have really benefited a lot by getting in somebody, whoever at that point, that point of designing the thing at an early stage. Not that it, we'd have been perfect, but sure, sure. There's always um, going to be things you look back on. And it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done it like that. Dead always, it. always, like uh, the tree species. The species uh, would be a number one thing. I did dodge a huge bullet. Mm-hmm. Thank God I did this. Um, they were getting ready to put in sycamore trees, mm-hmm. uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands, and I said to myself, I knew sycamore was nothing in my world mm-hmm. and, for wildlife. And, and I was going to say that that's an important thing to note there. Um, most likely based on soil and site selection of these things, that's where the recommendation of a sycamore came in because, you know, in your given area, um, it tends to be wetter, more swampier type right. moist soil. However, you still have to marry your goals and the program's goals together and that's where you made the change in your head and say you know what i don't need um all those sycamores i'd rather change that and and do something that's going to be more beneficial to allow me to reach my goals and what were some of the tree species you substituted for the sycamore uh for the sycamore which is a giant order i mean i was looking at it's hard to put in perspective but i they were showing me about 150, 100, and uh, almost 200,000 mm-hmm. uh, bare root seedlings 
And I went, no, <laughs> no, thank you, please. And, and gosh, uh, thank goodness I at least had that tiny bit of background mm-hmm. to t- make that uh, monumental change. So we substituted them for bald cypress. Okay. Yeah. And bald cypress, you know, no, they're not white, white oak or anything, but I, I really like them. They, um, uh, it, somebody down the line is going to own a very, very valuable uh, um, crop of of timber. From sure, them. sure. I think I think a lot of people are sitting here thinking, uh, okay, so you went from a cypress to, a, I mean, you went from a sycamore to a cypress. There's no, you know, hard mast or production or anything like that. But it's not just a a forage aspect that you're looking at from a benefit, but it's a value. Uh, or volume of potential sale of, of uh, timber on the property down the road. And oh, so... absolutely, because, I mean, there. what I learned by traveling around is conservation has to fund itself. There's no free lunch. Yeah, good point. And there's Very no good free point. lunch. It must, it must have value and whether it be hunters that want to have their own private paradise or the future timber harvest, whatever the case may be, it needs to be there to protect it. Cause mm-hmm. there's so many forces out there that would love to just cash out maybe. And sure. And there we go. Yeah. Done. Great point. Great point. So, um, you know, that, that's a substitution that, that was made there on the property. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but all these trees were planted from a bare root. Is that right? I, right. And I know that you've done um, pretty enormous amount of shrub plantings as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there was a point where I was always wondering, always skeptical. Um, You know, I lived in Central America, and Mm -hmm. you better be skeptical. (laughs) (laughs) You you (laughs) learned that, Trey. Watch out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's going to happen. So being skeptical – I was always questioning, questioning, and then I found myself running down the bad road of of uh, crash and burn, destruction, bad advice. And I was thinking, really? Mm-hmm. Um, who's holding the bag at the end of all this? Yeah. And it's me. Right. And so with that thought in mind, I said, I'm going to explore – the science at least there has to be some education out there and thank goodness i found it it was through qdma mm-hmm. yeah the stroke of change that's when the change occurred i still i realized that these guys are an ongoing concern and by golly they do just what i was doing sure set up the land for hunting for uh wildlife and and whereas NRCS didn't really focus on that point that much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're, they're and not, a great resource, like you say, for, for um, all things, you know, whether it's food plots or whether it's timber or whether it's, um, you know, native grass plantings, things like that. They have the resources they are available um, and they do it with, they do it not just to do it, but they do it with a, a conservation mindset of I'm doing it to not only improve, you know, just the white-tailed deer, but the additional benefits of non-game animals and the improvement of the land. So it blended 
you basically you found a home there with the information that they would provide um, that covered all those basics, correct? That's correct. I went through their library, bought all the, the premier books that were written at the mm-hmm. time and just wore the wore them out cover to cover and pondered it and took segments because it's too much information. I must say there's TMI on mm-hmm. what you receive. Sure. <laughs> sure. And, and and regionally, you know, um significant too. You know, some things that you know you can apply here but not necessarily here. And you right. have to kind of weed through some of that stuff sometimes. But you yes. you again you ask those questions in your mind what out of all this information can I use and apply back to this 300 acres? That's it. That's correct. And, and honestly, I must tell you, Matt, also your listeners out there that, uh, you know, you're starting off with a bare root seedling. You're looking at this little thing and you're going, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) My, my, and who else's lifetime are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And you just go, this is insane, but don't. Right. Uh, reason being, yes, you can plan. And you can start with a bare root seedling, a little tiny finger. And actually, I think it's the best thing to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other trees you buy from the nursery, they're not going to grow any faster. Mm-hmm. And we found that uh, the, the layout, and the concept behind it is probably the number one thing. But just plan it, forget it, go on with your life, keep with it. Don't sure. forget it by not, never returning, but stick with it. And then, uh, from my experience, you got the first 10 years and you're just going, huh? Why? What am I doing here? <laughs> am, am, am I wasting my life? Yeah. Then, the change begins. And when it does, all the promises slowly begin to click in place until you're sitting there, not 10 years, you're 20 years later, which is where I am now, mm-hmm. watching it all just mushroom mm-hmm. uh, for for wildlife. Absolutely. And the fact that I gosh, I've learned volumes of things about the land in the process, so much higher education to the point where a guy like you that I respect tremendously, I'm able to sit down with you and, and, and converse in a, in a real way from experience what's going on out there. Absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, we've, we've stayed in touch because I learned things from you, Laddie, and you learned things from from us, hopefully, that we can yeah. share in, in our experiences and realize that, hey, you know what, all together we're, we're doing the same stuff, and, you know, what have you seen with this? Oh, I've seen this. Okay, that makes sense because you're dealing with this there, you know, back and forth, back and forth, and it all right. comes together for, you know, the both of us who you're very well respected in your area to influence and help others too make these same changes on their property. So, you know, that's how relationships and, and um, you know, that, that come together through a, a single, um, oh gosh, a focus really grow and help can impact other people. And and I, I think one thing, you know, we, we've talked about the, the reforesting of the property um, 
but there's much more that, that's happened on the property since then as well. Um, and and I, I mentioned it, you know, it goes from biological desert to, you know, just amazing diversity of species out there. So let's let's kind of dive into some of the other, whether it's practices or just general species that you see growing on the property and some of the impacts that you've seen um, since then and how they might, uh, let's say, help the turkey population, which I right. believe that you've said um, there was a very, very, very small turkey population. Same thing with the rabbit population. Um, the deer... Yes. In the area, there's always been, you know, a good relative number of deer, but now it's to the point where you're aggressively harvesting deer to keep them at a at a uh, manageable level with the amount right. of forage you have, your carrying capacity, and to give, you know, the bucks. You want to you want to grow big deer, so you're managing right. that. Run us through again, you know, some of that diversity, what the property actually looks like as you're traveling, as you're t- touring around it. Okay. All right, then. First of all, I'd like uh, to paint a picture that would uh, a viewer can imagine driving through some of these fields that were reforested. Um, you're going you're gonna to realize that you're going to see pine trees that, yeah, you can put a tree stand on just barely. They're mm-hmm. not much bigger than, than what can support a, a normal uh, tree stand, a uh, ladder stand. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there, some of them are, are b- real big and and certainly easily big enough to uh, to sit up in with any kind of uh, hunting rig. And there's but you're gonna go driving along quietly and see these openings where there's no trees, mm-hmm. and then there're gonna be more trees, and then there's gonna be another opening with no trees. And then there, it's on and on through the place. You've got this constant change because of one thing, the chapter that I read that may, has been my go-to uh, in design is to keep the diversity just uh, all over the, the map, the aerial map, diversity. And so these openings are going actually from uh, just native forbs, uh, blackberry um, with no tree cover in between in long linear strips that allowed me and the tractor to run up and down that mow if I need to spray if I need to mm-hmm. and maintain that that strip being open creating what what I've been taught the that edge the edge effect as the two come together and then turn it back into trees again and then followed by another opening. So that diversity has been the driving directive to go forward uh, for the property what, what, in the standing forest too. We did a lot. Yeah, no doubt. You, you guys did do a lot of TSI in, in that timber block that split those crop fields, but what was the planting? Do you recall the planting, um, the width of those tree rows to give the, the viewer an idea, you know, now we've got, these rows right. of trees, and then what? What's this rows gap trees. Be- between the two? Typically okay. speaking, they would be anywhere from fifty to seventy-five feet wide—a a strip of trees mm-hmm. growing, going from east to west, and then an equal-sized strip of 
uh, shrubby cover right on down to grass, forbs, milkweed. And what I'm adding this year is since those strips are linear and I'm able to work them, um, I've noticed that the cat briars the, is starting to get to the raggedy side of, of uh, the um, growth. Succession too much stuff. briars, too much yeah. shrubby stuff. And I'm taking a strip right down the middle of the opening back to dirt and, and start it all, start the process all over again. Gotcha. What kind of means, like mechanical means, prescribed fire, herbicide, mm-hmm. what, what are you... What are you utilizing to basically, and guy, you know, when he says bringing it back down to, to dirt level, this is um, resetting succession is basically what he's talking about. Resetting succession. Getting, getting that right. new growth, that first stage back. Um, how, how are you doing that? How are you achieving that? Well, there, there's a lot of power in succession and the power uh, that they, that comes from starting from dirt, pure dirt into the oldest stage is a mature oak forest Mm -hmm. Uh, and you don't want in diversity we mixing it up so in the middle of that open strip again about 50 to 75 feet wide it's open linear strips going to trees but i I realized the the age of the succession was starting to um change sure so that there was no early succession and uh i think craig harper he's he always talks about succession a whole lot Mm -hmm. so this year i mowed all the briars down with a heavy bush hog and some small shrubs mowed it down let it regrow in the spring used a pretty potent shot of glyphosate um mixed it with crop oil so it would burn and penetrate those uh thick heavy leaves and and just smoked one strip about uh, um, eight feet wide, just enough for the uh, my equipment to get down, and uh, and then I took an offset disc that I've had. I restored an old offset disc, and they're pretty aggressive. And then right. so flip that stuff over, and and bring it back to soil so yep. that nothing. No briars, no existing root is my goal. We'll, we'll start back. And so then it's kind of like a miniature soft edge. You're starting from zero and slowly working up until you hit the tree line. Very good, very good. And, and I want people, and I know it's hard to, through a podcast, be able to visualize this. Um, and, and what you're talking about, Laddie, you know, people probably heard us talk about, oh, the benefit of Blackberry, the benefit of the shrub cover. And this and that, I need people to realize that what you're doing right now is not taking away good. It's simply resetting no. because you have 297 acres of this cover. It's not like it's a um, you're lacking in that to- type of cover. And if you don't do something right, then it's going to continue to mature. So you're just simply resetting this. It's going to come back. We know that the seedbed is there. It's already proven that. And so you're just getting a different set of um, plants come back, more annual base when you you get it back down and lightly disc that soil. So 
the practices that you're doing, again, maybe to someone who hasn't seen the property is like, whoa, he's getting rid of that stuff? I just, I want that stuff. But you have <laughs> to look at, and that's why property management and land management is so site-specific. What one person is doing may not be applicable to the other because the property itself is just different. This yeah, this type yes. of cover is almost omnipresent across the whole thing. You know, you do have some trees and, and reforested areas things, but there is certainly no lack of early successional cover um, in the first couple stages of early you know, succession. And so you're just simply at a stage where you're managing it, and these are the techniques that you're using to manage that. That's true. That's true, Matt. I mean, Forrest Gump said it best, life's a box of chocolates, and uh, you want one of every flavor. That's right. Yeah, darn right. Darn right. Every flavor. And uh, after after this many, this is not the first time I've done that, but mm-hmm. I would say every five years, you want to take, take some of this early ground that's trying to turn into an old oak forest. Oh. Take a portion of it and just right back to soil. Start over. Mm-hmm. Begin again. And uh, there's a lot of power in that, but not too much of every anything. That's uh, right. Diversity, the the definition of it is a little of this and a little of that all together that's right that's right and your property is a prime prime example of that diversity in not only the stages of succession but the species represented and then the layout of that and how it's spread across the entire property so i mean it's diversity from all in in every single aspect um, across the property which makes it now a wildlife haven. I know that term or a wildlife paradise. Everyone's heard that term, but truthfully there is wildlife abounding on the property um, because of all the work that's been done and because of the diversity that the property has um, and will continue to occupy with you at the helm. And so what, what's the biggest thing that you've seen in transition getting a little bit away from the land and from the vegetation species that are present getting more into the wildlife aspect, what are some of those biggest like aha moments you've had on the property when you see wildlife responding to what you've done? Um, well, the, there's, uh, the maturity of the plants, cause you're starting off with, um, some plants, some trees, especially oak trees, are going to take 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And you're going, 25? That's, will I be alive? <laughs> you don't even know. But so I I went back to somebody who was saying something, food and cover, food and cover, mm-hmm. food with cover, cover that is food. And, and I got, luckily we have a nursery close by, Wildlife Nursery in Maryland. And um, I went to that that nursery and the the guy who runs the nursery is a good hunter he's Mm -hmm. solid and he he knows what i was talking about we were on par with uh what we wanted and i want it fast i want it now i want it productive and i want it native absolutely (laughs) and and he's like have i got what you need he's (laughs) going set you right up you need silky dogwood, all these dogwood uh-huh. species. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and people, and I just went, oh, he says, how many do you want? A thousand? And I said, 
I'll take twenty five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and his eyes so, got big as well. <laughs> yeah, he's like, really? Oh, good. Um, and I got elderberry, yeah, uh, hazelnut, mm-hmm. chinkapin, um, and we planted these shrub. And I went on a shrub mission. And to I can't emphasize to some of the viewers that shrubs. Put um, plan where you want to put them. Put in solid blocks. Forget mm-hmm. trees. Yep. You, and a solid giant block of shrub only, and the deer are going to be there. Especially the old buck. He doesn't want to walk around and show himself. He's going to stand up, scratch, and take a few bites and sit down again. Yes. No doubt. And he's going to do it inside these shrubby areas. I, I, I'm going to pause you for a quick second. Because this is a good teaching moment for those who listen, and and you're you've applied it here. Um, but guys, this is what we talk about all the time when we mention the plum thickets or the diversity. If you're going to go and plant these shrub rows in transition, you want to incorporate things like the silky dogwood, like the gray dogwood, like the um, American hazelnut, and that is the value that it provides its forage and cover um, from. The aspect of the tender buds, the shoots, there's cover, there's hard mast in, in many of these um, varieties. So you're putting all that resource right there in one. But again, here, here's here's a person, it's not just us saying it on a podcast, here's a person who's applied it and has seen the benefit of it on their property. So go ahead, Laddie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think on hindsight and, you know, I'm evolving and, you know, uh, that's what I like about you, Matt. You, were, you, you and I both said the same thing. You know, we've made some big, big mistakes, and right now we're not going to make them anymore. That's right. And, Time's too and, precious. But what I've done in the process is learn, and what I would do is take your layout. If you were just starting to lay out a piece of land, lay it out for hunting right from the get-go. Uh, you want to create a bedding area, you – you know that you can't walk very far through your property without spooking everything. Mm -hmm. So you set it up so that it is easily accessible to you, your kids and everybody else who comes behind you to like, Oh my gosh, look at this paradise right next to the house. And I don't even have to walk a hundred yards. That's right. Well, and And some of the best bucks I've been shooting and seeing are really close to the house. I remember that. I remember they're not far away at all. And the reason is that I'm getting in, I'm getting out and I've set up these little tiny pockets where they can hang out and be completely invisible until they feel like standing up. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I'm seeing them right there. But uh, did I get too far away from your question? No, no, not at all. Um, and, and I think as, as an, to provide another visual for some of these people who are listening, um, based on the, I guess, progression of some of the reforested areas, um, there's some stands, and I believe some stands you've been successful out of, that um, based on the height of the shrub cover and based on the height of the trees that you've placed um, or utilized the tripods that are, what, 10, maybe 12 foot off the ground to be able to right. slide in and hunt, climb up the backside, get in the chair. But you have the trees. You, you might put them like you might yeah, put that tripod between two trees growing in the tree row and you're letting these 
deer walk past you and funneling, but you're up basically at the top of the tree. The tree is obviously not anywhere close to being able to provide um, a place for a tree stand, but you have these trees that you've planted growing all around you. You're sitting in the tripod and these small little openings you're just overlooking that are full of shrubs and forbs and grasses, uh, tons of cover, and the deer just feel so comfortable, but you're able just to sneak right in. And and I remember that set where uh, you're talking about where you harvested really nice deer um, being 100, maybe 150 yards from behind the house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, um, it's, yeah, it's a, uh, the thing that I liked about the shrubs was, well, let me start from the, the, uh, some of the mistakes I made early on. I went right into where am I going to put the food plots? This is great food plot. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And I wished I'd have been at that very moment. Has somebody slapped me and say, no, <laughs> that's the last thing you're going to do uh -huh. and get busy and get in the, the mature forest and start rectifying the problems in that mature forest. Right. Uh, so I lost some time there, but now that mature forest. Yeah. Again, some lots of changes, uh, taking out some of the low grade, uh, things, gum tree predominantly for mm -hmm. us, but get rid of it, drop it. Um, now I'm getting older and uh, things are always changing. The chainsaws are getting a little more dusty, but the hack and squirt bottle is as clean as a whistle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're still doing it. We're knocking them in the dirt. Anything that is worthless. Yep. He's got to go. And um, you, so you've got hack and squirt has been a great tool. Yeah. And I think that, that, that's a great uh, point to make laddie is um everyone's seems to be very fearful of um removing trees thinking that it's going to make a large impact yes yeah, so that you know may take may have taken 15 years for that tree to grow but i think having a set plan ahead of time and having clear goals and objectives and saying being able to identify each tree and saying Will you help me get to where I want to get? Will you help these 300 acres if you continue to take up space? Will you improve it or will you keep it, you know, status quo? Or are you going to make the this area be degraded? And you have to make those decisions. And Hack and Squirt allows you to do that because you're right there. You're evaluating the tree. You make that decision and you walk to the next right. one and you make the next decision. But if you have yep. those clear objectives you can make those decisions very decisively and say yes, no, and move on. And I think it's a great tool to be able to use. And again, this this goes back, I think, to uh, the maturity of your mindset of, hey, I'm here to improve this, and if you're in the way of that, you're gone. Yeah, that's, that's true, Matt. You need to... You need to educate yourself. You need to talk to people that are, are really uh, had their finger on the pulse of this whole science the, the, that we're involved in. Keep your finger on the pulse. Be, be uh, sure of yourself and go forward. Uh, but don't take some bad advice doing it. Sure. One of the great things I got is uh, we had some wonderful oak trees in my forest, mm -hmm. swamp white oak things that were 100, 150 years old. And I'm, and each one to me was just a prize yes. to find. 
and around them were gums, giant tulip poplar, some real low grade stuff. And I wanted them gone. Mm -hmm. And um, I found an Amish guy. He was uh, also big deer hunter. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Oh gosh, thank goodness. And we'd get there. He liked to fish too. So we just wouldn't shut up the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And he, uh, he could do what I don't know who all out there can, but I can't. He could drop a, a 95 trees out of 100 right on any stake oh, he wow. decided to drop it on. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't going to hurt any of the big trees. Yeah. So with him, with me, and together we went through the forest and we were deciding the future of this thing. And I'm, and I'm saying, here, drop it here, drop it there. And I got confidence to go in there, take out these giants – who were already in place Mm -hmm. and then start hacking and squirting all the next generation of low grade stuff. And, um, you saw it, you were here in the state, not much of that's going on in our forest. Very, very little overtaken by, uh, primarily tulip poplar, American holly and, uh, sweet gum trees because of the lack of timber management, maybe a harvest occurred and then it was just left to uh, basically predict its own future. And those are the species that come back. And, and you took action. You changed the direction that was headed. And it, and it took work, no doubt. But um, by dropping and opening up the canopy, then following up with the TSI, which I think a lot of people probably heard us talk about, you know, if you do a timber harvest, come back. That's just phase one. You need to come back to phase two. And yeah. now you're left with amazingly gorgeous healthy full crown canopied swamp white oaks that produce right. a very attractive hard mast um and have standing value as well yeah no at the very one of the very first things i did was to go around i think it was on our little video we did together yes I, it was now it's 19 years later mm-hmm. the very first thing i did i had a bunch of guys and they didn't want to be there we cleared out underneath some oak trees and those oaks were all pinched and and squeezed into a tiny little corner but they were all good white oaks mm-hmm. now years later i'm looking back at those same things they dominate yeah oh yeah <laughs> They, they, they are... and they're dropping acorns by the truckload, mm-hmm. and uh, all the wildlife, you know, just stops and parks right there each September. No doubt, it doesn't move a muscle. And what, what I'm thinking I'm doing, I'm getting the surrounding properties, the early bow hunters that are eager to get out the gate, mm-hmm. and then the late stand uh, fixers are out there banging away on their stands in, in <laughs> yeah, September. Yeah. <laughs> and what am I doing? I'm sitting there. I'm out of there. I'm not setting foot on my place after the 10th of August. Mm-hmm. Other than a tractor. I might sure, drive a tractor. Sure. Which they're used to. Right. So, but I'm not going to walk mm-hmm. anywhere. And I'm letting all this go on. I know I got the acorn uh, market sewed up. Yep. Everything else is piling down by the handfuls. The early hunters are out there bumping some good good bucks all around the perimeter of the property. And they come to my place and start saying, yeah, here's a beautiful place to hang out. Mm-hmm. 
No and doubt. that works. Yes, it does. Yeah, sure it that does. That does work. And hey, people want to do that? Fine. I'll be happy to lay out the welcome mat. Bring them on over. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So um, in regards to the whitetail, the turkeys and, and rabbits, things like that, real real briefly discuss um, the changes in, in their either populations or just the quality that you've, that you've seen change by doing all this work. The quality? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Matt, what... Um, this is a little bit off topic, but mm-hmm. what what I want to do is look for what's going to happen in 50 years from now. Do you know? <laughs> uh, I, I can guess. I can make a guess, and I'm trying to make a real educated guess. Europe has has had wonderful hunting, and now it's only for the great, the top Elite. aristocracy. The rest, forget about. It. You'll never even get a chance to hunt. So we have places that are all around us. Everyone is allowed to hunt, but it's getting tighter. It's getting mm-hmm. tighter and tighter as things go on. So sure, when you do this work, the quality of the hunting is greatly improved, especially if you hang in there and don't quit. Yep. Um, if you hang in there, give it, give it 10, 15 years, it's going to happen. But then you're going to have something that, uh, has meaning going forward. And that's why I wanted to do this. Understand that, that in the future, when I'm a extremely old person, somebody's going to come along who says, yeah, hunting here is the greatest it's in the whole state. And, mm-hmm. and we want this place. And by golly, even though somebody wants to put up a, a, a little um, subdivision, it's ours, and we're not, it's it's protected. Yes. No way are they yeah. going to tear it up, right? To to do that, and so that's what I'm working for. Have the attraction of the place for people, and make it stand out and be well known, so that that will build in an inherent uh, layer of protection when uh, our population 10, 20 years from now is over 10 billion human mm-hmm. beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's scary. So this will be the incentive. That's why that's the thought that's going through my head. Build these trees now, let them become um, uh, mature, and let that help to have wildlife create their own conservation. Right. Right. To save the land. And uh, yeah, when there's more people on the planet, they're going to want space. <laughs> That's right. That's what we do. That's right. And is that making sense yeah. for the, I mean, the long range plan, the long, long range that's, plan? Yeah, that's the long, long term. Uh, let, let's, I guess, if in the last in the last five years, um, how have you seen the turkey numbers change on the place or last 10 oh, years? Oh, okay. Um, Last five years, uh, I started to see uh, birds all around, which was nice because right. I knew, okay, we've got resident birds that are roosting in the trees. That's great. And, yeah. and good to see that again. But it it not only takes um, you know management, it, it takes the habitat there to be um, for those broods to be successfully reared as well. Uh, I'm sure that exactly. you've seen an incredible change 
in just the songbird population. I'm sure you've seen um, a change, and I remember it uh, distinctly going through the property during the summer. There's a buzz, and, and it's not just uh, you know hype of being on a really good property, but it is a buzz from the amount of insects and pollinators um, and everything yeah. that are just floating around. Yeah the property because it is in that stage of early successional cover. So you need that for pult um, survival and rearing and, and, and the amount of food that offers for the songbirds and non-game species alike. Um, right. It's just, it's incredible. And, and those are well, all what the I things like that we about, talk about. What I, what I really like about what you and Adam preach is that, uh, that when you're doing this stuff, you you might be thinking you're working on deer and turkey, but mm-hmm. it's everything on the list. And after a while, you realize the the place is alive in all levels of life. That's and right. The turkey, the deer are just part of it. Just That's part it. of the scene that is uh, really enhanced by all your efforts. And and I think to to speak on that a little bit further is you've seen, you know, an impressive change in the the landscape in the last 17 to 20 years. Um, but those aren't the only wins that you've celebrated are the ones that are revolving around whitetails and turkeys and things like that. Um, so you don't get, if you will, um, you know, depression or, or, you know, down in the dumps based on, you know, through that, through that entire 20 year period. So you don't get, you know, down the dumps. You have to celebrate those wins when you see, um, a rare songbird species, you have to know that, Hey, what I did made an impact that wanted that bird to come here. Maybe it's to nest, maybe it's to migrate through whatever it is, but you have to celebrate those wins and know that again, I'm doing all these things, maybe primarily for these game species that I can hunt, but I'm making an impact for everything else. And that's important to me. It's important to the landscape and it's important to future generations. And I think you've, yes. you've done that and you, it'd be, it'd be incredible to take, um, you know, a class ornithology students out there and say, go identify birds, you know, go out there and see how many different species that you can see here on the property. It'd be incredible because that again, diversity Yields diversity. So if you have diversity in your vegetation, um, you're gonna have diversity in the wildlife species that are there too. True, so true. It's uh, it, and I think that by doing this type of work, Matt, that what you're doing is you plant your 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 vegetation. Then you're gonna go back and check on them, of course. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna check on them again and again and again. And after a while, you realize man, I am observing and becoming uh, aware of so much more of uh, the effects of, of the chain of life than that I was aware of before. Right, right. <laughs> Which is like, wow. So you as an individual are lifted, you're tuned in and turned on more and more as time goes on and becomes easier to yeah. figure out so that, to the point where you don't need to refer to any book that somebody wrote or, or write a text or an email, you know, instinctively eventually, okay, this change needs to, to take place because this will help right. things out. Right. Absolutely. Well, Laddie, we're, we're wrapping up on our, on an hour, but I want to give you a chance to talk about um, the future of this property too. 
and, and what it holds or potentially holds for not only you, but the potential of other people too. Um, okay. You know, you, you created this wildlife mecca that's just based around conservation um, and the wise use and development of resources, but it's not only for, for you to enjoy. Um, so talk about a little bit about, you know, the potential future of it and, and what you want to do with the property. All right. Well, uh, I do have a kind of a long-term goal because I got short-term and long-term ideas. But before I even mention that, I heard a podcast that you did. I wanted to comment, Matt. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to uh, salute you and Adam because you had the uh, overrated things, 12 of them. Yes. And, man, did you nail each one in my book. I think each one was well thought out. You even opened yourself up to criticism, but you took the uh, took the chance and spit it out. Truth right. uh, will will uh, prevail, and um, that was really good. I I so wished I I'd that. had that podcast with me when I began twenty years ago, and uh, it would have saved me a whole lot of effort. <laughs> okay, long term. Yeah, I want to see, I know we're not, none of us going to live forever. I'm going to eventually have this place of transition to the next steward. And this person is a very important guy because probably the most critical phase of its uh, survival will come in with the next owner. And um, so I've, uh, do not have kids. I wanted to make this an attractive destination, a place where initially the hunting opportunities would probably be the motivation. I'm sure they will be. Mm-hmm. And it will uh, get a, an individual who was long-sighted, not short-sighted. And so for that reason, I met you. We did a kind of a slick video that I thought was informative and Definitely. showed a little bit of the features. And I put it out there so that uh, for sale, which the words really hurt me. <laughs> it really yeah. hurts to say that. Uh, I bet so. It, but I tell you, um, the hard work, the heavy lifting, the the drudgery of the job that lasts for sometimes decades has been done. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a background in agriculture. I've always grew up on a farm. I could, I could do all these things, work on equipment, fix anything. Not many people can or have the luxury of a schedule to let them do it. Sure. So for that reason, there needed to be, let somebody carry the heavy load and eventually let a new steward with some uh, foresight take over and care for it because there's always things to do on a farm sure. but then take the 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 blueprint and and then after that when they are ready to leave it to their descendants i think the property just on its own would never be destroyed because it'll be so rare i i agree i agree it, it's definitely got a i think uh, a rich future it's got an awesome history um, and I think that it definitely uh, has you to thank for that and developing it into what it is today um, and having the, the wishes, I guess, for the property in, in the long-term future. So um, 
if if someone was interested in that, you know, how how are they going to be able to to reach you, Laddie? And if if they don't get the number down, they can. Uh, I'd be happy to put them in contact with you. But Laddie, you know what? Is there a good email for you? Um, if if they are like, you okay, know what, I'd, I'd yeah, be interested sure. in, in figuring out something. Well, more I didn't want to do this as a plug for it, but I, I'll certainly use the opportunity to Go reach ahead. out there. Um, there might be just that person and listening in today. So I, it would be an email for me. Contact me via email. Um, Evergreen. That's the farm. Yep. At WLP wildlife preserve. At Gmail. Evergreen. WLP at Gmail.com. That's how you get in, that in touch me. with yeah, that's that's right. It's the farm email address, and uh, that will catch me to uh, to discuss it. And uh, you know, this year, uh, one of the the neat things I planted, uh, I planted a lot of hybridized oaks, some uh-huh. oaks that would grow fast and put out a lot of nuts early. Right. But some of the older ones that were the slowest of all growing oak trees. Um, I mean, I know them individually by now. These trees, they're uh, we're putting off acorns for the first time in their life right now, mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, this, this year. So it marks a change. It marks a uh, an uh, new stage maturity yeah. that I think is seen all across the landscape. And when you start 20, 20 years, uh, if you started today, twenty years from now, you'd be praying for that day. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> waiting, waiting for that uh, that initial the bare root seedling being planted to from come a bare full, root seedling. Full but circle. Most of the early ones have already started, but it's the yeah. later, the slower ones, the swamp yeah. white oaks, the post oaks, and the and the such. Because it wasn't only cypress we put in; we put in a lot of quality trees out there and it's neat to see uh them you know for me hunting yeah i'm jacked up to see a real great buck but it's just every year going out there sitting watching the show go on around me yes uh if a buck comes see ya he's quality right but usually the 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 experience and the great uh thing i get by going out there is just to watch the things you put in and then watch all the diversity of, of wildlife buzzing and flying and zooming around you and it's a great show every night so i look it forward is. to the hunting season oh yeah oh no doubt no doubt well laddie man i i really really appreciate your time um and you sharing the story of of evergreen uh, man i i hope it was encouraging for people i hope it was um enlightening to hear that man you could take you know zero and 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 turn it into a 10 and and you could do it in your lifetime you can make it just an incredible property where wildlife abounds um it's possible uh you're you're living and and breathing truth of that and i think again that that should be encouraging to everyone who's listening knowing what I'm going to do here and what I'm going to commit to is going to make is going to make that difference that I'm hopeful I can do. Um, so thank you for sharing oh, that story. Absolutely. I mean, the smallest thing you can do, anybody can do anything and get involved and make a change. That's for sure. Even the smallest thing. That's My right. dad used to make me pick up trash on the road. I hated it. Right. After about five, 10 years, 
everybody picked up trash on the road. And after that, no one ever threw trash ever again on our road, our country road. It's amazing. So we had changed. We yeah. had changed the whole psychology of it. And I think that's that's what everyone hopefully here listening can do in their respective area. You know, they can oh, they yeah. can change um, the way people may look at a timber harvest. They can change the way people may look at prescribed fire. They can it's it's a it's an opportunity for people to educate others um, who may not understand it, and that's what we need to do. Um, so thank you today for educating us, Laddie. Um, and well, you're again, welcome. We certainly appreciate your time. Great always to talk to you, Matt, and uh, I hope this is enjoyable to whoever's listening. And they got a little, little inspiration because, uh, yeah, at times we need it. <laughs> we do. You are certainly correct. You're certainly correct. Well, thank All you, right. sir. We will, uh, we will catch up later on. Very good. Bye Take now. Care. Well, there you have it. There's Mr. Laddie himself. Um, incredible. Uh, just person, individual, um, who, who gets it. Obviously, he understands what it takes um, to make an impact, to make a change uh, for just the land in, in, in and of itself. I know this could have been a Habitat podcast, um, but you know I wanted to do this on the For Love of the Land because he loves the land. He loves that piece of ground. Although he's, he is selling, he loves that piece of ground and what he's been able to turn it into. So, um, again, hopefully that was just an opportunity for you guys to learn to to get that encouragement because we all need it. Uh, we're coming out of, you know, really big time where hopefully people have been doing TSI, doing prescribed fire, maybe planting some food plot, things like that. Um, everyone needs that, that reassurance that what you're doing is going to make a difference and it's going to make that impact. Um, so, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, be watching again for those for those updates and new things coming to the Land and Legacy uh, team and, and podcast and things like that. So, um, man, there's just a lot of things coming down the chute that, uh, again, we have you guys to thank for. So um, be watching. Thank you, guys. If you haven't subscribed, uh, subscribe to YouTube, uh, the Land and Legacy podcast on iTunes, and follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, guys. Thank you. If you've got any questions, www.info at landandlegacy.tv. Be happy to um, answer anything you guys got. So send it on. We'll catch you next week.